Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi there and welcome to episode 90 of the ADHD Adults Podcast. I'm James Brown, the man whose route to diagnosis was getting his mum to pay for it. And as usual, I'm joined by the man who has several routes from his house to his murder forest, Dr. Alex Connor. We're also joined by our often cited friend, psychiatrist and paid up member of the team ADHD, Dr. Nick Richford, who we'll say hello to in just a minute. But first, sadly, I have to say hi, Alex. Hello, Dr. James and Dr. Nick. I am also a professional like Dr. Nick. I mean, you're not, are you? That's that's objectively untrue. But more importantly, hello, Nick. Hello. No, hi guys. No, it's good. It's it's good to have you on. How are you, Nick? I'm good. No, I've just been out with the dog. Um, wrestled a um dead rabbit from her jaws before arriving back, which was great fun, actually. Why? Why did you take your dead rabbit rabbit out with you? <laughs> Is that not normal? <laughs> <laughs> clearly not a dog owner Alex, you know. <laughs> to a lesser extent i had to rescue a mouse this morning but it's not as impressive um less importantly alex how are you very well thank you james yeah excellent and nick hello we um <laughs> we actually got contacted by spotify because of the silly numbers we're getting of people and i don't think anyone can blame them because we also got a review that said they just dig at each other and segue. There's 40 <laughs> seconds of actual information. I thought it was awesome. 40 seconds. There isn't 40 seconds. Yeah. And one of those sent no, us never. one of them sent us a letter. Did they? I mean, just carry on. I'm not sure again. Is it going to be real family member vampiric? Just crack on, mate. They did, yeah. It's a Robert from Transylvania. It says <laughs> it says, I heard your podcast on explaining ADHD to people. But we always had to explain why James was in high school for 20 years. Not not because he's a vampire, because he was held back. <laughs> Thank, thanks, Robert. That does explain a lot. It does. We've, we've had a real letter. I'm going to read it out because uh, Mrs. ADHD isn't here. She's got an actual job. It's from a wood butcher, which is a brilliant name. And it says, I'm an old duffer. My diagnosis 12 months ago is a huge relief. Lizdex meds nine months ago is a real game changer. The cherry on the cake was the podcast, which I discovered about three weeks ago. I'm self-employed. All employers are either too sensible or risk-averse to take me on. And I've been binging on the podcast. I listen on earbuds under my ear defenders when working. Up to episodes somewhere in the 60s-ish. Quite simply, feel like I don't need any therapy or anything like that after listening. I feel like I do need therapy. You've done that for me. Listening to your stream of drivel has genuinely made me happy to be me. And I'm now more comfortable in my skin than I've ever been. It's like I finally understand myself. Can't thank you enough. And oh, and Mrs. ADHD is definitely the star of the show. Not sure about that bit, James. Yeah. I mean, that was lovely apart from the last bit, wasn't it? Yeah, the last bit. I love the stream of drivel. That's literally how we describe it. <laughs> Amazing. I love that we, we've only got the bit about Miss ADHD on the day she isn't here. 
<laughs> internationally, we're almost up to, and unbelievably, one extra country from last week. That's 149 countries. <sighs> and the latest one might be Estonia. I don't know. I, I think no. I've done that before. So a massive terra ya terra mast, hopefully, to our Estonian listener and or person who's on a conference in Tallinn, more likely. Amazing. Amazing anyway. Thanks for that, Alex. Right, as usual, this BMW driver who parks their car across two spaces just because of a podcast is a tragedy in three parts. We choose a theme. Last week, we talked about how to explain your ADHD to people. And this week, because we've got someone who actually knows something, we're focusing on the different ways you can get a diagnosis of ADHD, some of the processes that are involved, and what all of this means. Three parts, as usual, include a thankfully less dull than usual double act with Dr. Nick helping Alex the psycho education monkey, talking about the facts behind the topic, our personal reflections, and a mix of top tips, or whatever it's called now, typics, spunk, trumpy, I just don't even know anymore. Um, so, typics. Alex, first of all, can your, can, your fragic, can your fragile ego cope with Nick doing most of this bit as he is an actual doctor? No. It's too fragile. <laughs> before, before Dr. Nick talks about the important bits, I think we should explain what a diagnosis is and isn't, first of all, and clarify that the rules are, my God, they're geographically complex and different, even within the UK, let alone everywhere else. And it's important you have a look at your regional website for healthcare, even if it's regional NHS website, if you're going down that route. There's an example, the right to choose option. That's only England, I think. Is that right, James? Mm -hmm. uh, outside of the UK, it's, it's going to be wildly different, I imagine. Come and share your experience on our Discord community at the ADHD Adults. Maybe even get tips or give tips to other people in your region. We thought we'd ask Nick to summarise the three main options. So let's do it, Nick. Can you tell us what a private diagnosis means? How listeners can, can choose a good and fair private assessor? There's so many assessment centers and assessors and private assessments when you search online so yeah, absolutely go on, i watch. think the important thing is to, to recognize that there are complexities not because of necessarily quality or type of assessment you know i think probably the majority of people who offer assessments for adhd know what they're doing have a rough idea about it and will give you an accurate fair diagnosis but james has mentioned right to choose and I'm going to talk about something called shared care. And this is really important going forward because ultimately, if you have a diagnosis and you want to opt for medication, then you probably don't want to be paying a lot of money for it ongoing, particularly as we have an NHS in the UK. So there is a, a process where um, a psychiatrist or whoever assesses you can ask a GP to take over prescribing as part of shared care. Now, it is a request, it's not a demand, okay? Um, but the important thing to recognise is that not all GPs will be comfortable taking on shared care at all, but some GPs will be comfortable, but only if it's from certain providers. Um, so wherever you live in the UK, there will be services, whether it be England, Northern Ireland, Wales, Scotland, there will be services which provide ADHD and indeed autism diagnosis. Um, however, the waiting list for many of these services is really stretched. You know, for a lot of areas now, it's three years, possibly even a bit more. Um, so you can go to a private provider um, and some will give you a good assessment, 
will write your GP if you opt for medication. GP will go, yeah, that's fine. And then that person will maybe give you an annual review and make sure everything's all right. But sometimes GPs go, well, that's not an accepted provider. It's not somebody who already provides services to the GP. I'm sorry, to the NHS. Right. So, so, there's, so there's no list. It really is up to the GP and the hope that they're trained and aware of the provider you've given. Right. That's tough. Yeah. Um, because, again, James has mentioned right to choose. Um, so right to choose you know, it's part of NHS constitution. It says you have a right to make a choice about where you're treated. And that's not just about ADHD. That's about many different things. And the reason why maybe you do have a choice is built into the NHS constitution. So for instance, if the waiting list is unacceptably long, um, and that's not set, that's not a set waiting list, but it generally, the NHS standard was 18 weeks for a first appointment. Of course, the way the NHS is at the moment, many appointments go outside of that across the country for many things. But if you're talking about three years, that's a long time. Sorry, Alex, you were really is oh yeah no so so people often have guess their school or the university meets with them and says okay you can have adhd adjustments is that but and they might think that's a diagnosis but is it presumably not then yeah no it's not and and i it's interesting i mean i you know i'll be honest with people listening to this i i sent alex and james um a really arrogant email about how important i am as a doctor and of course that's nonsense but in reality in the uk Many people who make diagnosis are medical, are doctors, um, and um, there is some inherent, um, I guess, sense of who should be giving diagnosis. And I think who should be giving diagnosis are people who are trained to give diagnosis, people who use appropriate diagnostic methods, um, and then um, that isn't just somebody giving an opinion. That's not oh yeah, you look like you've got ADHD. Um, so I think that's the that's the real pitfall for choosing somebody privately. It's not necessarily that you're going to get a bad assessment. It's if you pay privately for medication or for other treatment, then if you just go down that route, it may end up costing you a lot of money going forward. And if the GP vendor says, well, actually, I'm not prepared to take this on, then if you've got really good benefit from that treatment and you want to carry it on, guess what, you're going to be paying maybe several hundred pounds, even potentially per month um, going forward. And, and for many people, that is absolutely unaffordable. Yeah, it, it really is. Thanks so much for that, Nick. So that's the kind of the, the, the private route, if you like. What about the standard NHS route, Nick? And that's not you, Alex, it's Nick, I'm asking. How can listeners be referred? A proper doctor, yeah. We, we do need a proper doctor occasionally. Yeah, um, really. How can our listeners um, be referred for an ADHD diagnosis through, if you like, the standard NHS route? And then secondly, and uh, I'll remind you because we've all got ADHD and we'll probably forget, what could they do if their GP maybe refuses to refer them and they believe they've got, you know, enough circumstances to warrant a referral? I'll, I'll let Nick take that one. That's very kind, Alex. So <laughs> <laughs> um, number one is have a conversation with your GP. But it's really useful to go into GPs are, spe are not specialists. I mean, they are specialist generalists. They, you know, I've worked with mm. a GP for about nine years. Um, GPs deal with a huge range of different problems. So do not expect that person sitting in front of you. They could be an amazing GP. Many are, but do not expect them to necessarily know everything. Um, so 
they'll equip, you know, if you've looked online, you'll see there's this rating scale ASRS, complete it, take it in with you. Um, and just say, look, I think I've got ADHD. This is this is what I'm basing it on. I've done this scoring thing. Um, and actually, I've talked to my mum or, you know, I remembered when I was a kid, I was getting into trouble at school. I was getting told off, you don't listen, you, you know, you don't concentrate. Those are the sort of things because it's got to be present from as a kid. It's no use just thinking, well, actually, I was fine until I got to mid-20s. Um, there is a button there, and I, I can talk about that in a minute. So, so ultimately, go to your GP. Um, and most GPs you'll find are absolutely um, on the ball. You know, they'll listen and they might go, okay, well, I can refer you to our local service. It's not unreasonable to say, do you know roughly how long their waiting list is? Um, because I say most local services are, you know, up to about 36 months now. Some might be a bit less, but, you know, ballpark figure. Um, I assess people from all over the country and that's what I hear, you know, most days when I see people. Um, if you do go right to choose, there are a number of providers. You'll find them online. I am not promoting one. I work for one, but I'm not mm. promoting a specific one. That's wrong for me to do it. Um, but as long as they are have, have an agreement to provide right to choose, then you can choose any one of them. And I don't think any one is better than another. I'm going to be clear about that. I'm not there to sell one service. Um, because to get right to choose status, as it were, to be allowed to do that, you've got to have already have an existing NHS contract to provide that service, i.e. you've been shown to be a decent provider. That, that's just really helpful. That, I just want to briefly yeah, come back to on. one thing, which is there are people who function amazingly well at school. They've got a lot of structure in place. They've got all that scaffolding. They've got parents who help them knuckle down. Yeah, they're bright, they, they manage to get through school and they maybe get through university and then they hit the job market. So they might get to 23, 24 and suddenly it's like, whoa, I'm not coping. That doesn't mean you can't have ADHD. Mm -hmm. Okay. Good to hear. And it's also very important because, uh, you know the little talks I do, Alex, I don't like to talk about. You, you know the oh, your little talks. talks. Yeah. And little talks, yeah. One, one of the things that talk. commonly gets asked when I talk about the diagnostic criteria is someone will say, well, I don't have any school reports and my parents aren't around, so yeah. I can't prove that I had symptoms before 12. And I normally say, well, a, a good psychiatrist won't say, you're not going to get a diagnosis and they will talk to you about that. Is that true, Nick? Absolutely. Um I mean, my, my background's maybe a bit different from some of the psychiatrists. I've been used to working with people learning disability and autism for many years. So I'm used to what we call a developmental assessment. So I'm maybe to try a little bit more detail um, about that. But yeah, I mean, if what you're hearing is, you don't have to have school reports. And, and it's even interesting, I, I always laugh because occasionally I get a message from somebody I'm about to assess and they say, my mum has filled out my informant report informant report is really where we ask somebody else who ideally knows that person to fill out brilliant information and sometimes it ticks no 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 on all the boxes but guess what adhd is quite genetic so often there's families where this is just normal mm. it doesn't mean yeah. it's wrong it just means it's normal so so your mum go well i'm just like that and <laughs> so actually of course they're not going to say well no they were struggling in that area they might just go yeah that's just normal don't don't worry too much even if your your mum dad or whoever you ask goes yeah you're fine because yeah. you are fine uh, today, is, I mean, exactly. yeah it's really important my my um evidence if you like of childhood symptoms was remembering that a gp said 
you're hyper was saying to mum, he's hyperactive and don't worry, he'll grow out of it. And he obviously lied. And therefore that was my clear recollection that I did have symptoms as a child. Just just quickly before we move on, that the second part of that question, it doesn't happen that often, but it does happen because of these kind of persistent myths. And there are some systematic and, and uh, cultural barriers in the NHS for some to get a diagnosis. We do, we do still hear of GPs saying, you, know, you can't have ADHD because you've got a good degree or a career. And if you genuinely feel that you, you do warrant a referral, what should somebody do in that situation? Yeah, so there's a number of things. One is, um, you, it's not necessarily your job to educate the GP, but as I said, GPs mm. are generalists. So you might say, well, actually, that's not that's old thinking. Um, maybe you know, just just take something along because there are many resources you've taken. It it doesn't have to be a patronising argument. Um, many G, most GPs now do not work as single practice. You know, one GP in a practice. So there will mm. be other partners other GPs in the practice you could say actually I want to see something else and you're entitled to mm. do that um, the other thing is that um, if, if it got to the stage where you were thinking actually I'm really just being dismissed regardless of, of this you can complain it's, you know I mean most GPs don't want complaints and they want to make sure they do the best for their patients that, I think that's very clear um, but you know, it, I think it's, it's human nature that people make judgments about things. We all do. Can I can I have a follow on? It's kind of the question I was going to ask anyway, it, which is, we, you know, we're not blaming GPs for not wanting to take on a shared care agreement because, you know, for all the reasons you've given, it's not necessarily, they don't feel qualified. If your GP won't, have you got, can you change GPs or do you have to get it in writing or what, what would you do? Yeah, so... Um, it's, it's interesting. I, I've, I've just read through the um, NHS England document about shared care and the guidance for doctors, um, partly because I'm, I'm looking at some policy issues which, which I think are relevant to that. And your GP does not have to take it on. So the, the guidance really are that your GP um, feels that, A, the medication is um, for an understandable reason, i.e., you know, it's um, prescribed appropriately, um, but it's within what we call a license limit. So each drug on the market, and you know, that applies to the common drugs for ADHD, they will have a top limit of the dose. And they're not recommended to be used as combination drugs, you know, to, to use more than one drug at the same time. But sometimes you know, people working in ADHD will, will know that for some people it does require that. But GPs are much less likely to take that on because it's outside of their, um, you know, experience. So if you're a patient, it's just a standard, they just won't take you on with a shared care agreement just for a straight, just to continue your stable meds on ADHD. Do you just change GPs? Is that what you do? Or You can do, and some people do, um, but not everybody's in that, you know, got that luxury depends where you live if you live rurally if you live where yeah, there's not yeah. many practices mm. um again you don't have to go down the line of complaints and i'm not trying to discourage people from complaining mm. but i'm also not trying to encourage it you could just go back to the provider the person who's done your assessment and titration if people understand what titration is where people have managed your medication and um often they will then carry on prescribing um you know, it's not ideal because each month you will have to then contact them to provide 
you know, your details for them to send a prescription. Um, but, you know, there, there are ways around it, definitely. Um, and, and I've certainly occasionally met people who have changed GPs, um, not necessarily for that reason, but sometimes for other reasons mm -hmm. as well. I actually just found that they've had a good response from, from a different practice. But again, I, I think it depends on where you're at. Thank you so much for that. But just quickly, kind of, I suppose, finish off the first section. We've talked about private, we've talked about the NHS, and we have mentioned right to choose. And again, it's important to say that this is just within England. This this right to choose doesn't exist in the regions. So if you're registered at a GP practice in England, your GP agrees a referral is is warranted. You can be referred to a qualified provider. And as, as Dr. Nick said, there are several of those available. Um, again, we hear anecdotally that some GPs struggle with this. You know, if it's a knee replacement, often they seem quite ready and able to say, yeah, we'll send you to the Royal Orthopaedic and not the, the QE. Um, but sometimes there seems to be this kind of lack of clarity when it comes to right to choose. So what's your experience as a GP of right to choose? And again, what could listeners do if maybe their GP accidentally, not accidentally, refers them maybe to the local service instead of right to choose? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, number one is, I think you're right. There is sometimes attitude, and um, sometimes that will be bias. You know, it will be a view that maybe, oh well, if you go to them, they're not a proper service. I think for, for me, I, I always smile at this because most people may not be aware of this, but GP practices generally are private businesses which contract into the NHS, and you know, a lot of the people who provide private assessments for ADHD and autism. Um, are private services which contract into the NHS. So, and they have the same sort of contractual contract. So I'm not mm. convinced there's a huge difference, but there is sometimes an attitude. If there is an attitude and it is really practice-wide, you are in a difficult situation because that is what I would, I'd use the word dogmatic, i.e. it's not based on mm. good evidence, good practice. It's based on just opinion and um, views. Um, but I'm also going to be putting my GP hat back on. Um, I stopped working as a GP last August and GP is absolutely unforgiving. It's working in a primary care setting at the moment. It is absolutely relentless. We can echo that enough. We talk about it all the time. And because the GP is the first point of contact and we hear some bad stories, GPs often feel bashed and we never think that. We think they're doing an amazing job. And, and yeah, we, we have to echo that. I think apart from James, who hates them, weirdly. <laughs> that, is, that is so not true. Although I did once get a GP <laughs> accuse me of bashing them in one of one of my little talks. But actually, Nick will know the statistics on this, but I think they, they see 66% of the patient interactions and get 8% of the funding when it comes to the NHS. It is massively under-resourced and more than that, is it? Yeah, much but, more than that. I just want to say the other thing about one, shared care yeah. is to understand that a lot of GPs fear that it will give them a lot of extra work. Now, the, what we're asking GPs to do if we're asking for shared care is for them to ask you for six monthly blood pressure, pulse and weight check and really a quick mental state. And by mental state, are you all right? Are there any problems? And if somebody goes, no, I'm fine, you know, a bit of anxiety, but actually no worse than normal, that's all they need to do once every six months. And that will often get done by a practice pharmacist. 
but GPs fear it's going to be a lot of extra work, which I think is a legitimate fear. Just, it, you're right. It's mine was just like that. They're brilliant. My GPs were great. They would they just took it on for me. It was fantastic. There's a big pause there while Alex and I are deciding who asks the next question because I think there's a couple left. I think it's yours, Alex, isn't it? No, I think that's the end of the questions, young James. Okay, in that case, that was exactly 50% good, all the bits that Nick did, obviously. Um, so we know why. So we'll take a break and we'll see you in part two. Alex, hi. Hi. What's up? Hello, Governor. Welcome back to episode 90, believe it or not, of the ADHD Adults, where we're joined by the fantastic Dr. Nick Richford. In part two, as always, we're doing personal reflections on the theme, which this week is routes to a diagnosis. How do you get diagnosed? We've all been diagnosed, I think, in the room. So let me start with you, young James. How do you tell, tell us about your route to diagnosis? Don't read the script. Young James. One month younger than you, Alex, but I'll take young James uh, any any day of the week. So... um. I was not aware that right to choose existed. And I, as you know, I was in a very bad place. I was in a mental health crisis. I suspected I also had a mood disorder and was trying to deal with both of these at the same time. And I genuinely thought I can't. I'd heard the stories. I thought it could be a two-year wait, could be a three-year wait. I just thought I can't. I can't wait that long. So I, I went to the bank of mum and I said, listen, I, I can't afford to pay for all of this. And she said, I'll, I'll pay for it all. But we went kind of mates in the end. And I went private through psychiatry uk and that meant back then in february 2021 this was relatively quick it was kind of two weeks from inquiring to having my diagnostic assessment and an entering titration and that i think because of its time was probably a relatively unique compared to now a situation when it comes to going private because as we kind of suggested there are so many people now seeking a diagnosis that even private clinics are becoming overwhelmed and one of the most common questions we get is oh well, i'm going to go private who shall i go with and we obviously don't we don't uh, put any private clinic on a platform we just identify the issues that might arise now i didn't because i didn't know before i got my diagnosis check with my gp if they would be happy to sign a shared care agreement and then when the diagnosis letter came through and I forwarded it and phoned the GP, he phoned me back and said, well, what's this? And I said, well, it's, it's the shared care agreement for taking on my care. And he said, well, I don't, I don't know what to do. And I went, okay. Uh, my understanding is, I think actually from memory, I verbally over the phone had a different GP said they would sign it. But this GP said, I, I don't know. I don't think I can sign this. And my panic just obviously went through the roof. And I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll leave it with you and you can come back to me. And within an hour, I had a, an email and a text message saying this has been signed and we're taking it on. So it was very quick for me. It wasn't, you know, super cheap, obviously, particularly the, the titration part. But th that was then and this is now. And I, I don't think there are many private clinics out there that could kind of offer you a, a an appointment in two weeks, immediate entry into titration. So the whole process is done in, you know, kind of three months. That I, I don't think is what you'll you'll see in the current climate nick what about you your personal reflections um again i was quite lucky i did pay um i, I did go privately and it was my wife i think um it was either that or beat me over the head of a baseball bat to shut me up watching television <laughs> at night um and no i mean the serious note for me was that um you know during covid i worked from home um and 
So I was much easier distracted. As a GP, guess what? Life is quite easy if you've got ADHD in many ways because it's quick. You've got people coming in every 10 mm. minutes, lots of variety. You know, it's awesome. But um, I was working from home. It was all phone stuff um, and a bit of paperwork as well. I was finding it quite hard. It was impacting my mental health. You know, I've had mental health difficulties on and off over many years. Um, and um, I think for me, you know, my, my wife 20 years ago said, you've got ADHD, um, or <laughs> over 20 years ago. And the thing is, I was functioning. And, and I think it was the point where I stopped functioning. So again, I, I, I paid privately. Um, the person I saw was awesome um, and actually did my titration, managed my medication for me. Um, and my GP, again, was, was really fabulous. I'm very lucky because my GP practice is, is an amazing practice. I, I really have mm. been lucky. Um, I often say to people I, how lucky I've been because where I, where I used to work as a GP, and the practice I'm registered with are two separate practices, and they're two of the only practices in the area which have been rated outstanding by CQC. Um, you know, so I, I have been very lucky. And, and of course, many people will have a really good experience from GPs. Mm. So I haven't looked back, you know. And I just want to do a quick thing about coaching. Now, I haven't had ADHD-specific coaching, but I had some coaching a few years ago really helped me change direction in my life and, and made life mm. help me make life much easier so i do want to promote coaching can be really life-changing as much as medication because people sometimes put all their thoughts about medication medication mm. medication it's not the only thing i think that's particularly important that's to say so. because i make it my, my living as an adhd coach i can't i can't say that because evidence-wise it's more it's a bit too complex but yeah certainly i can let you say it <laughs> right alex what about your uh your journey diagnosis etc <laughs> my yeah. journey to peaceful wildness oh for god's sake uh yeah so it was a while ago i was diagnosed with hyperkinetic disorder because they were aware they did say adhd but they didn't put it on the form amazingly um it was nhs it was quite a long time ago really but yeah, I, I was also terribly lucky then to have a great, great GP. And I was more skeptical than they were. I said, I'm not even sure I believe this is a thing because it was back in the day or, or that I've got it. I'm just probably a terrible shit version of a, a human adult, just rubbish. And they were pretty clear that what it was. And then I had to have a meeting with the I thought it might be the meeting to give me a diagnosis. I wasn't sure I'd get one, and but it wasn't. It was something else with a, I think I think it was a mental health nurse or something. I wasn't really sure there was paperwork involved. I didn't understand it. I certainly didn't do the um, the informer form because I was too ashamed to ask my mum or dad to fill this. I was too embarrassed. I felt fraudulent on my own. I couldn't have said, "Oh, was I was I actually ill? Is that why I was so terrible at being a human?" No way. Two, I was mortified at bringing this up. And when I had my actual appointment with a bri another brilliant psychiatrist, now retired, who said, um, well, it, it's obvious, it's really obvious, but I had to walk into the outpatients of a psychiatric hospital and I didn't know, I didn't feel, it felt, it was quite a leap that for me. And all of the stigmas, the internalized and externalized stigmas were screaming at me. And so even though I was very lucky, 
it was still a massive leap to be able to do it. Since then, I, my shared care agreement was really tricky at first because the GP said, you, you, you shouldn't take those meds. You should do spiritual meditation. This was in Birmingham. And so I just changed GPs because I don't give a shit. I'm happy to change. But GP here in Germany recently said, I don't believe in the ADHD diagnosis. And I replied with, it's not a relief system. It doesn't care because it isn't. I, I, I hear it often. I still feel a fraud in the neurologist's office right now. And, and people with head injury coming in in wheelchairs. And there's me going, oh, you know, I can't, can't function without meds. But apparently this, it's awful. You know, the internalized self-loathing is still there. Mm. And it, it was really bad when I first got diagnosed. That was mine, NHS classic, but lucky, I think. I think it's nice to have three kind of different flavors of, of getting a diagnosis. Um, we've just got time for a game. Oh, of no. our, uh, uh, yes, yes, we have. Now, as Alex is in the lead 6-5, Nick, you're hopefully going to take part and you're going to get first choice. So as usual, it's three. It's something went wrong with me or something that I forgot or lost, or in this case, <laughs> very differently, um, I injured myself. And there are three options as to what the um, ADHD element to this was. So when I was... Uh, putting together some uh, merchandise. I was doing some t-shirts and bits and bobs for our charity and obviously getting it all wrong. The t-shirt I'm wearing is evidence of that today. Um, I injured my toe. I've kind of split open my, my little toe on my right foot, but I want the, the question is really at what point did I notice that I'd split open my toe? Now we've talked about pain thresholds in the past and how mine's particularly bad for, um, stubbed toes etc so it, it's kind of relevant in that respect as well so the first option is did i mention did i notice that i'd injured my toe when i kicked the edge of the speaker i was working with and screamed fuck my toe that's option one did i notice that i'd injured my toe when i saw some blood stains on the carpet or did i notice i'd injured my toe about five minutes later when i actually looked at my foot and saw it was covered in blood so Nick, which of those three, and I can read them again if you want, do you think was the point at which I realized I'd injured my toe? Wait, what was the question? No, sorry, I'm three. The last one. <laughs> no, my concentration. Yeah. Yeah. So so next one when I noticed my foot was pissing. Still like focus, it's there. Yeah. I have to write down his is it Lancers. Right then, I don't think it's the first one, the speaker, James, because your speakers always play maudlin David Derrick Bowie, so you'd notice and, and avoid it like the plague. I don't think it's blood on the carpet, because that's just lunch for you, isn't it, you vampire? So I agree with Dr. Nick, it's number three. You didn't even, I reckon you didn't even notice, connect the blood on the carpet to your foot, because Absolutely. that's plastic use. Uh, you're both wrong. It was option two. Oh, so I actually, oh. yeah. So ah. while, while I was I was set, I was setting up this microphone for the live podcast event and plugging it in and testing it, and I didn't genuinely didn't feel my foot kicking this thing. But then I looked around and thought, it's a bloody big blood stain on the carpet. And then next, there's another one there, and just got confused. And then looked at my foot and went, oh my god, my foot is covered in blood. And I've seen the pictures. I didn't know the answer, obviously. Yeah. Wrong, but I've seen the pictures. It's quite severe. You've got all of your, your toes yeah. are covered, aren't they? All, all of my, yeah, the whole, the whole subsurface of my toes was covered. <laughs> and I had no idea until I looked at this, this pool of blood. See, my guess would have been it would be on the IKEA instructions that you forgot to read when you put together this <laughs> piece of furniture. <laughs> <laughs> One of them weird IKEA screws all the way through his foot. Absolutely. Sitting next. 
sitting next to that shit piece of furniture. Right, on that fabulous note, Alex, we're back to six oh, all. You're no longer oh, in the lead. I, I believe it. I'm right in saying we'll take a break and we'll come Man. back in part three for top tipping, spunk trumping, whatever we call it. See you in a bit. I agree to disagree. Alex, welcome back to part three of episode 90 of the ADHD Adults podcast. In part three, we, we tend to try and give top tips. Mine are always useless, obviously. Um, so we'll start with Alex, maybe. I've never been asked before. I don't think to go first. Thank Yeah, interesting on this. It, my advice would be get on the list. It doesn't cost you anything to, to go to your GP and get put on a referral waiting list. Get your documents in order first, but speak to your GP about a shared care agreement in principle before referral, especially if going right to choose or private. Is that are they going to accept that that choice of private or that right to choose system? Are they going to go agree a shared care agreement with you? If they don't feel confident in your diagnosis that you're going to get, ask them what would change that, what would make them confident in it. And it, if there's nothing you can do, then think about a different gp in the same practice if you if you're lucky enough to have different gps in the region you might have to do that try and get things in writing as well to 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 prove what you're doing but i would people always ask me oh i don't know whether to get on the list they feel fraudulent they feel like it's not that big a problem yet often though they're coping physically and mentally it's affecting them much more than they realize and so i always say the same thing which is it, the list is long as Nick was telling us earlier, it can be 36 months routinely. So that time will get will eat away if you just get on the list now. Um, yeah, that's my top tick. Nick, do you want anything? Any, yeah, do you want anything? Um, Have you got anything? Number one is be prepared. You know, don't just go to your GP mm. and say, I think I've got ADHD. Say, this is my suspicion. This is what I'm basing it on. Um, so be prepared, number one. Um, it's worth what Alex said is many, many training, sorry, many GP practice are training practice. So they'll have registrars. Um, registrars are GPs in training, they're qualified doctors. Um, and you'll often find that you get maybe a bit longer appointment. They might be a bit more sympathetic because, um, to be honest, they're often younger, they're fresher out of training. So they might have actually had more than one lecture at medical school. Um, about ADHD um, beyond being it's something which only affects naughty boys. Um, mm. And but also be prepared that if they go, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll do this, they might also want to then talk to a GP partner who will then maybe give them some advice. Ask, just say, you know, can you let me know, please? If they're, if they're not sure, if, if you think they're, they're going to just do it, just make sure they do get back to you because it, it's not that unusual where somebody goes, oh, yeah, I'll do this, but I'll just have to check. And then maybe as a patient, you don't hear back. And, of course, it's not always easy to get in contact with people. So if you get that agreement, in advance oh can you let me know please then you know they should go oh yeah i've talked to one of the partners they're happy with this i've made the referral job done but otherwise what alex said is great you know make sure you have a quick chat about shared care as well don't compliment him that's one of the rules of coming on this podcast is you have no. to be mean to alex it's just it's just awful <laughs> um i'll i'll invite my own top tips then um, what I'll say is again, you <laughs> I can't give Alex credit. You've both you've both given some brilliant information. I've got written down take info in, and that means have everything written down because you will almost certainly in that situation forget something that's important. So have it all written down of what you want to get across, you know, the childhood elements, how it's affecting you, at work or at home and, and your symptoms. 
Nick's advice on filling in the ASRS, the, the ADHD self-report scale, before you go in is really important. But remember, we often have poorer metacognition. And that means thinking about how we think and thinking about our behaviors can be a problem. So what I would say is fill it in a couple of times, maybe before you take it in, because on a Monday, you might write down very often. And on a Tuesday, you might write down often. You can also ask your partner or a parent or a loved one to fill one in for you, because often they will spot these things more than you. And if they you know, know you well enough, they'll say, no, you're always losing things. It's not just, you know, often it's all the time that's what i did i asked linda my wife and yeah. she said you're talking crap <laughs> and actually, <laughs> it's 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 so it's so important i was just i was chatting to a friend that's got adhd about their informant report actually and they'd put they'd put no for everything and then they started listening to the podcast and 12 months later they went ah actually no it was absolutely yes for everything one of our colleagues, I'm not going to tell you who, um, because we work together. I feel I should tell the podcast people that one of them, they did, they did the ASOS for fun and sent it to me, and they'd answered no because to like never to a question that they just hadn't read properly. It said, "Do, do you ever?" And they put no because it said essentially they thought it said, "Do, do you rarely do this?" <laughs> just mm. ridiculous, not paying attention. That. And that and that that I think is interesting because I, I don't want to throw the word ableism around, but the, the the whole process, including the paperwork you fill in, is kind of essentially a, a bit ableist. And therefore, when you get past referral and maybe have to fill your, your questions in, we've talked about this a lot, is you know, don't get bored halfway through filling in the forms and then put not applicable for some of the symptoms because it's difficult to sit down and answer 36 questions, Boring. you know, 18 about you now and 18 about you as a child. It's it's really difficult. And the, and the last last tip I'll give, and this comes from Mrs. ADHD's anecdotal experiences, she went to her GP and she asked to be referred to Right to Choose. That didn't happen. They referred her to the local services, and two years later she went back. And it was actually the receptionist that sorted this out. The receptionist was brilliant. And she took the paperwork to the receptionist and said, I, I actually asked to be referred to this service and it didn't happen. And then the receptionist somehow managed to organize that. So sometimes the receptionist can be a really good ally in, in getting the referral that you want. Fab. Right. Product recommendation of the week is any note-taking software or device that will help you start to get your thoughts and symptoms on paper ahead of a diagnosis. It is so important to make sure you've got everything down either on paper or on your phone or your tablet. So when you go in, you are pre-armed with all the information you need. I'd like to take time to give a special thanks to Nick for coming on because you've been thanks. fucking awesome as always, Nick. I often, I always describe Nick actually as, and this is in a loving way is rocking horse shit because there is almost nobody out there. It's, it's so hard to find that has experience as a psychiatrist and a GP and having ADHD. It's yeah. just, it's incredible to be able to have somebody with that lived and professional experience out there helping people. So thank you so much, Nick. Okay. Bob. Well, that was episode 90 of the ADHD adults podcast where we talked about roots to a diagnosis if by a miracle you enjoyed this episode, why not support the charity on the link provided? Because otherwise Alex will have to audition his head for the Indiana Jones remake as that massive boulder that rolls mm. down the hill after the Indy. As usual, nice. if you want to get in touch with any questions or comments, you can do that through our Discord community on the social media at the ADHD Adults. We will see you soon. Bye-bye.
Bye all. Bye.